Welcome to Chelsea in the Meadow. I'm your host, Chelsea, and I'll be joined by my occasional co-star, my sweet grandmother, Mimi. We've spent many of our days tending to our plants and animals on East Meadow Farm, but now we are embarking on a new project, the Chelsea in the Meadow podcast. We started this podcast to help guide you through the process of maintaining your own home garden. On our show, we truly believe that everyone can grow, and we want to help you, the listeners, be successful by sharing what we've learned from our experiences as longtime horticulturalists. Join us each week for tips on how to attain the garden of your dreams. On this week's episode of Chelsea in the Meadow, our topic is seeds. We start by discussing seed saving and the importance of it. Mimi and I then go over the differences between heirlooms, hybrids, and GMO seeds. We end this episode by explaining how to properly direct seed and how to start seedlings indoors. Listen on for more tips on how to pick your seeds. Hello everyone and welcome to Chelsea in the Meadow. This week... Today, specifically, it's pretty chilly. Um, Last week, it was nicer. We had more like low 60s, but today it's pretty chilly to be out gardening. We're happy to be indoors recording currently. Um, So we'll start off with our five-minute meadow update. And um, we've been collecting leaves. So, you know, the fall's happening. The trees are losing their leaves and they're falling to the ground. So we've been taking our mower and our rakes and a big blue tarp and collecting as many leaves as we can. It's funny because we did it on a day that wasn't super windy. We made tons of piles and then we were super tired. So we thought, oh, we'll just get them tomorrow. And then the next day was so breezy the leaves had blown all out of their piles and we had a plethora of leaves. So it looks like we didn't even rake anything out there. We collected quite a few leaves. I think next year what we'll do is put it off for another couple weeks. And we hate to let things go until it gets too cold out. Like today it's 44. So it would, it feels nicer to do it on a day last week when it was 65. But um, now we know that the leaves took this week with the wind to drop almost all their leaves. We're looking pretty cleared up. We still have a few oak leaves left, but uh, you can't even see our grass. So we're back (laughs) at it. Yeah. I mean, it's a trick to try and beat the snow, but also it's been such a wacky year weather-wise. Here we had such nice warm weather throughout September. All of our lettuce bolted, which is something that never happens with our fall crop of lettuce. So it's just been a, such a wacky year. I mean, across the board, the even uh, leaf peeping and the bright colors that we normally see in the fall came so much later. So all of the leaves are falling so much later than they normally do. And we're very worried about not collecting and then having a snowfall come and not being able to collect the leaves that we want. So it's 
been a little bit tricky, <laughs> but all in good fun. That's what you have to do as a gardener. You're working with Mother Nature, and she's a little unpredictable sometimes, but part of the fun. Huh. So this week's episode, we're going to be chatting about seeding. So last week we talked about perennials, annuals. So now we're going to talk about saving seed is something that you can do at your own home. So whatever you grew last year that was an heirloom, you can look at the different ways to learn how to save them for yourself. It's so beneficial to save seed. Most packets from last year that you bought come with already too many seeds. So saving the seed that you had from last year's packet, you're already going to be saving seed. Saving seed as far as the packets that you bought and used this summer, and now you're trying to decide if you should hold on to them, that's fine. But make sure you put them in a Ziploc bag and put that bag in your refrigerator, not your freezer. They can't stay out just sitting in a dish or whatever because they will dry out too much and they'll be too warm and they won't preserve for next season. Um, So any of the seeds that you save out of your garden, etc., that's how you would save them. Some people get individual little plastic containers for all their flowers and then a plastic container for, for veggies. But one big one will do just fine, but just make sure everybody's tight inside a Ziploc or inside a plastic plastic container. But also we have to add in capital letters, not your freezer. They can't be in your freezer. It's got to be just in your refrigerator. That's right. And make sure it's labeled too. You know, you run into trouble and all these seeds can look very similar to each other. Even plants that are totally different. Some of them are, some of the seeds are so small. They look so similar when they're that size. Um, but even beyond that, if you have, um, two varieties of beans or something, sometimes the seeds can look similar. So labeling exactly what it is on the container or somewhere visible, write it on a slip of paper and tuck it in with the seeds. So that way, you know who it is in that spot. So, yeah, so I, I want to come back to taking seed from the plants that you've grown. It's important to find the most prolific plant that you had in your garden from that past season to save that seed from the from that really great growing plant cuz next year you're going to want to have that really great growing plant again seed companies when they're distributing their seed they're creating varieties that uh, can grow generally in the climates that they say so it's not necessarily specific to your area or your soil, your garden. So doing a test of saying like, ooh, that plant didn't grow well, but this plant did grow really well and saving that seed from the plant that grew well. So that way next year, you're going to have even more plants that grow really well. And it's not that hard to do 
to preserve your own seed. I mean, we do it at my house, but there's tons of ways you can look it up online to figure out what kind of process that the seed needs to go through before it can be saved, right? Because different plants need certain processes before it can be stored. Like our peppers, I think we talked about it in a different episode. We were drying our peppers out before we could um, save those seed and store it away, right? So whatever that process is before you save that variety of seed, but it could save you money in the long run. Uh, You wouldn't have to buy that seed again next year because you'd already have it. And again, you'll be growing those fruits or vegetables and you won't have to pay for them next year, right? That's the whole purpose of gardening. We want to get that back. So finding ways to save your seed, going through the effort, it's totally worth it. It's a way of ensuring that diversity, that strain of plant. So many seed companies have patents on larger varieties and they're pushing for those patented seeds to go out to the public, but you don't want to continue to support that. Those patented seeds are working against biodiversity. Now, there's even fewer plants on the market because of those patents. We want to support seed banks and organic seeds to continue with the variety of life that we already have on this earth. So I guess it makes more sense if we talk a little bit about um, heirloom versus hybrid versus GMO seeds, because when it comes down to it, that's where we're losing the biodiversity is in those GMO seeds that are being supplied all over the world. So we'll start with heirloom. Heirloom varieties are varieties that have been open pollinated instead of crossed. Um, Again, it means you can save their seed When you plant an heirloom, it's guaranteed to come back the same plant as it was last year. And there are also often varieties that have been passed down for generations. I hear stories and read a lot of um, articles online of third generation of seed being passed down. It's it can be something that is a part of your family. You can create these really large seed banks just within your family. It it happens. And it's great to think back that this is the same plant that your grandmother was growing or that your great-grandparents were growing to continue to get that life from, that food from these plants that were passed down for generations. It's something so special. So starting that seed bank for yourself so that way you can pass it down to your kids, it's it can be something that's really special. I think in order to qualify to be an heirloom seed, you have to be three generations old. And what happened and still happens is 
people who immigrate and come from other countries, they bring seed from their homes. And these are seeds that they try here, that they share with their friends, and and they have a relationship with those seeds from their natural homeland. So it's something to be respected, but it also builds a diversity in the seeds that we're exposed to. So lots of times when you order an heirloom seed, it will give you a little bit of history on it as well. So um, we use a few catalogs and the one that you can count on the most would be somebody like High Mowing Seed, which sells only organic seeds and things like that. So, but just checking back one section so we don't miss it. I just want to make sure that when you do order your seeds, that you order only organic seeds, okay? And that way you can be assured of getting what you want, um, lots of heirlooms, things like that, and um, have a diversity of the seeds that you find. Absolutely. Thanks, Mimi. You're welcome. So the next kind of plant that we want to go over is hybrids. Now, I have heard of some confusion out there. Some people really try and stay clear of hybrids because they think heirlooms are far superior, but that's not always the case. Now, hybrids, you can't save the seed from it, but they are cross-pollinated to achieve traits that allow it the varieties that you want to be more drought resistant or tolerant. More tasty. More tasty, have more flavor. <laughs> more healthy. More healthy. Yeah, disease resistant or pest resistant. There's a lot of benefits to hybrid seeds. And it's a technique that's been done since uh, 1716. It's not considered a GMO plant. There's a very distinct difference between a GMO plant and a hybrid. Plant breeders take pollen from one variety and place it on the stigma of another compatible variety to create the plant that has the ideal traits that they're looking for. It's it's a process that, you know, these people are specialized in doing it, but it's something that has been done for a very, very long time. And it's very natural. You're crossing plants with other plants, plant varieties that are pretty much the same plant variety as the other one. They just might have a little bit better tasting or be able to tolerate um, something a little bit better. So you, it could be anything from a smaller fruit size or less seeds or thicker flesh or maybe more seeds. They cr- may cross two plants because they like a certain trait about one and a trait from another. So they put the two together. We are playing a role in this process by selecting what traits we want, but there's nothing really unnatural about it. This could happen in nature. A bee could land on the plant, get the pollen from it, and land on the other plant and create this hybrid. It's not something that's really out of the ordinary or really far-fetched. Now with GMOs, that cannot happen naturally. It must be completed in a lab. What they're doing is crossing things that aren't necessary plants 
to create traits that can better withstand pesticides and herbicides and all of the chemicals that they're putting on their plants. They're taking DNA from other living things and putting it into a plant so that way it can withstand the toxins that they want or resist being sprayed. And the plants they've done it the most with, it's an expensive process to take these things to a lab to decide how the DNA is going to react. So what they've done is they've done it mainly with crops like corn, uh, soybeans, uh, big, big egg crops that are using to make fast foods and things like that. So um, some of the corn goes into ethanol. Some of it goes into different directions. And they want to be able to go at that field with a pesticide or, a, or an herbicide and keep the weeds down. They're growing hundreds and hundreds of acres of this. So they put these pesticides, et cetera, on with airplanes that spray over and they kill all the weeds and everything that will interrupt with these plants growing. And this is the whole purpose for them. But now they're beginning to reach out into other categories. So for years, you didn't really have to think about it too much um, because most of it was done for big, big agriculture. But now we want you just to be careful. And so then we back up again that we've had people come into us and we had corn in our garden and the gentleman said, well, that's GMO corn. No, it's not. It was organic corn seed that was raised by organic farmers for organic farmers. It has nothing to do. It's never had its DNA changed. It's never been to a lab yet. So he's pretty safe. So just don't be frightened. You just buy from an, from a place. Almost every seed catalog that you pick up, especially for vegetables nowadays, the front of it will say, no GMO seed. And if it doesn't say that, then you have to decide that you're going to buy an organic seed just so you can be absolutely positive that you're not ever getting a GMO seed for your vegetable garden. So... Now that we've talked about kind of the different genes and parents <laughs> of these different plants, we can talk to you about how to seed. Now, most of the seed packets that you're going to get are going to tell you exactly how to put them in the ground or get them ready for planting. We wanted to talk about the two different kind of ways to grow these plants. Now, some plants can be direct seeded into the ground, but some of them prefer starting indoors. It's mostly depending on how long it takes and if your season is long enough. Our season here in New England is not long enough to grow a tomato and get fruit from it. So, Take things like tomatoes and cucumbers and things that you want to give them a head start. That would be the only time that you would really benefit from seeding them yourselves. When you get to things like green beans or herbs like arugula um, and um, dill and all those things, you can direct seed those right into your garden. They will have time to perform over the summer planning that you're starting them probably around June 1st in the garden. But if they need more time than that, then they have to be started inside. Gave some 
good examples. Right, but carrots are the best (laughs) because we just pulled a lot of carrots today and we got two crops of carrots and we seed one um, the end of May and we then after those have come out we seed somebody else in their spot but then we find another bed and we seeded probably around August I want to say 8th or 10th and today we pulled out another 25 pounds of carrots out of our two beds so um, lots of things can be direct seed or prefer it you know Mm -hmm. carrots beets Lettuce, we would like to say yes, but actually lettuce comes up really tiny and you can leaf pick it. It's just, it takes longer than you think it would to grow a head of lettuce. So to get started on planting and direct seeding, you would want to smooth the surface and loosen the top two inches of your bed. Then you'd make a furrow at the correct depth. Now, again, the seed packets will tell you exactly how deep to make the row for the seed. And you want to, you know, create just like a small little crevice line across the length of your bed. You want to make sure that the furrow is wet before you put the seed down on it. You always, when you're planting and transplanting and putting things in, it's always best to work with moist soil. It helps the plants settle in better and it um, attaches to the soil better, more securely. The water just lets everything just settle better. Then you'll want to put the seed into the furrow. And again, seed packet will tell you how far to space these apart. Sometimes with little tiny seeds, like with carrots, you just have to sprinkle it. And you can't even really necessarily know how far apart these seeds are putting, being put. But um, things like beans or um, peas with larger seeds, those can maybe withstand being, um, you can, you know how far apart those are going to be because you can really handle that seed. Whereas with little tiny seeds, it's really hard to distinguish between the next one and the other and making sure you're only picking up one with your fingers. And sometimes we use tweezers for it. So it's just a little bit trickier that way. After you've put the seed onto the soil, you want to cover it gently over again with soil. Now, you, of course, you know um, how deep you want it. You've made the furrow the right depth. So you're carefully sprinkling soft soil over the top because you don't want to disturb the seed too much. Once it's been pretty well covered over with soil, then you'll pat it down so that way the seed is making contact with the soil and it's nice and comfortable and settled in there for if there's any rain or anything that comes, it's pretty settled in or the next time it gets watered, it's settled in. Um, And that's kind of the process of seeding, direct seeding in, just making sure that the soil is really soft that you're working with that really helps the plant be more prolific And the other thing that you'll find that you'll do is once those seedlings are up and have a couple of leaves on them, then some of the things you're going to have to thin. 
And that means you go in between like carrots. They want you to space them one inch apart. It's pretty much impossible. But then they want you to thin them to two inches apart. So you go back when the plants are a couple of inches tall and you just start pulling them out and try not to feel bad about it. Because <laughs> sometimes you're like, oh my gosh, he has such possibility, but not if you leave them crowded. They won't have the possibility. So you pull out whatever they say. They'll say thin down to two inches or thin down to one inch. And that just means pull up all the babies in between. And then your row will be pretty settled. Sometimes we thin twice. We go in once and get the really crowded ones out. And then I'll go back again and thin them to the correct amount. So sometimes it always takes me two rounds. But yes, but just again, we're back to follow the directions on the packet and they'll tell you exactly how far and how how you should do it. So, And here's a little gardener's tip that you might not be aware of because sometimes you get out there and the plant tag or seed packet tells you, you need to put these two inches apart or one inch apart, or you need, this needs to be spaced a foot away from something else. Mm -hmm. So you'll go out there and you'll be like, well, I don't have a ruler with me. And it's kind of silly to think that you need to bring a tape measure out there while you're trying to plant these things. So what I've learned to do is use my body parts to do some measuring. And that's pretty much pretty a well-known garden trick is to use um, your forearm is pretty close to 12 inches. So from my hand to my elbow is roughly 12 inches the size of a ruler. So when I need to space things out like a foot apart, then I'll just lay, you know, my forearm and my hand out to kind of just give a rough idea of like, okay, that's that's about a foot. And then for inches, I use my thumb to kind of gauge what's two inches. So from like the tip of my thumb to my thumb knuckle is roughly an inch. So do two of those and that's basically two inches. Now it might be a little different for you. Um, I have, I'm, you know, five, two, so I don't have very long arms or very big hands, but, um, it's just gives you an idea of when you're gardening, you find other ways to kind of measure. And once you've covered your seed over, and they haven't sprouted up yet, it's helpful to mark your rows with little twigs and things. So that way you know like, oh, this is where I should see things popping up, this row or the um, one next to it. You know, that way you're differentiating and marking and labeling and knowing kind of who's where in your garden. Because when they first start sprouting and coming up, they can, it can get confusing on who's where. So you might have it in your head like, oh, that's where I put the carrots, but maybe it's not carrots. Maybe it's weeds or maybe it's something else that you put in. So it's just good to label and mark your rows as you're going. And now we're going to talk about seeding indoors, right? Because some things need that. And you might not be set up for this, Maybe you're interested in getting set up for this, um, but it's not something that maybe you necessarily have to do. If, it, if this doesn't seem like something for you, there's nurseries around you, I'm sure, where you can go and get plants that they have started earlier in the greenhouse that you can put into your home garden so that way you can have tomatoes and things. 
Um, but if it is something you want to do. Mm. Some people love to do it. They look forward to it. It, it. We do it in the greenhouse, so it's much easier, really, than it is to do in your home because in your home you have to find a place that isn't in your way first off and then you do have to make some investment in some fluorescent lights and they should be the broad spectrum which means they sell them that way they're made for seed starting they have all the ranges of color in them so um so you'd have to invest in a light and you'd have to invest in a few trays and 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 a bag of soilless uh, mix um it's very fine it's not like potting soil so the tiny seeds or medium-sized seeds can come up through it so um so those would some of the things that you'd have to have to start is some trays and you'd have and your trusty pair of tweezers and and uh, and then you would start and again you would follow everything that the seed packets told you right so at our house we start with trays of what kind of size? Our trays are divided into little tiny cubbies, and we use different sizes. Most people who do it at home use an open tray. It's not divided yet. And then they do like one row of, um, say cosmos or some flower they would like to grow and they tag it with a cosmos tag and then the next row they do with somebody else and um, you can buy smaller little inserts that fit in so if you're doing a lot of things on march 1st like snapdragons or some early vegetables or something like that you'd have just a small pack that would fit into your larger tray so um, that way but you want everything tagged it's a good idea to put the date on it that you seeded it the more you write down the better it is one time at our business i had a woman come to see me and she opened the trunk of her car and there were peat pots everywhere and she said something had happened I don't know if the table had collapsed I don't know if the dog had knocked it over but she wanted me to see if I could identify who was in all these pea pots and I was like well I can pull out a few for you but most things when they first come up look very very similar so tagging 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 labeling labeling is the main thing you can never do too much of it so until they're really big and you're ready to pull them up so and the other thing I would warn you about is to stay away from peat pots and I know they sell lots of them they don't work very well I wish they did they say they're biodegradable they're not very biodegradable and that would be the only reason to buy them they don't hold the water well enough we did an experiment not an experiment but I did a class one time in a kindergarten and we went in and the kids were reading Jack and the Beanstalk and we planted beans and the teachers had bought peat pots and had filled them with soil and what happened is we didn't have quite enough so I, in my next class, I had to do two sessions. I brought in waxed paper cups, just regular paper cups. I punched holes in the bottom, filled them with soil. What happened is on the weekends when the teachers went home and no one was there, the beans in the peat pot 
died because no one watered them and the peat let all the moisture out into the room. And the little guys in the afternoon session, their beans were climbing up the window all the way and the morning session had failed. So it was a little bit of a learning lesson for me. So I still would advise you to go with on the plastic side of trays rather than the peat side of trays. Yeah, I often see peat cups and things as um, a sustainable solution because so much waste happens on farms and at nurseries because of all of the plastic produced, but it's just not super functional, which is really a shame because peat, as we know, is a water retainer. It absorbs it after at first you know, it pushes it away, doesn't want it. But as it's sitting there, you know, a, a little cubby pot, it's sitting with that wet soil around it. So naturally it wants to absorb all of that water and it doesn't, it takes it out of the soil. It it doesn't keep the soil wet. It literally, it, it takes the water out of it. And then the air around the cups flows around it and dries it out. So all of the water just evaporates all the more quickly out of it. It really isn't a solution to this problem. And we really should be pushing for more sustainable and recycling um, to happen with these plastic pots and things. I'm a little lost here. Oh, we just, we, now I'll back up. Trays. That's because I talk too much. So. No, no, no. You're absolutely <laughs> So right. now um, you're going to take whatever containers you've <laughs> chosen right. and you're going <laughs> to fill them with your soilless mix. Yes. Okay. And it preferably is dampened. All that means is you put it in a little larger container the night before and drizzle, you know, a little bit of water over the top of it. And in the morning, just stir it up a whole bunch and you should be ready to go. Perfect, perfect. And Mimi hit on this earlier, but make sure if you're going to do this, you need a grow light. You can't necessarily really do this in just a window. A window. It's not enough light for these guys. They really need light 24-7. So leaving that grow light on in an area that is pretty protected, you know, away from everything else. I often see it in like basements and things. That's where people have their grow lights because you want just that light from the grow light and you want it, you know, just two inches above of that tray or growing surface, right? And you can leave it on 24 hours a day until they germinate. Once they germinate, then you're going to back it off to like 14. Uh, we'd run ours about 14 hours a day. We have a timer. And so it turns them on in the crack of dawn in the morning and turns them off at bedtime. So, um, but, and then again, as the plants grow a little, you're going to lift your plant lights up. So usually they're attached to the ceiling or wherever. We use chains so I can move it along the chain and lift them as high as I need to or drop them lower if I need to. So, but that's how you do it. So you keep the light on. You can keep it on 24 hours a day until they germinate. Um, if you grow them in a window, what happens is they spend their whole time reaching for the light. So they get very tall and they get very skinny and they get very weak. And 
then when you put them outside, the whole sun thing is such a shock for them that you end up losing them quite often. So, um, so that's why we always say, you know, if you want to get into this, then you, the plant lights are really the way to go. As they get bigger, make sure that you thin them too. Just like how you would outdoors, you want to thin these down. Um, taking out the weaker ones, spreading them the right distance apart. I know it's hard to do these little potentials for yummy vegetables, but you just got to do it in order to get the plants to do better. They're not they're not going to do well if they're really crowded in there. We've said it before about bigger gardens. When you have plants, you don't want it to be overcrowded. Same thing with seeding. You don't want them to be overcrowded. They need space. The soil can only sustain so many seeds. So making sure that there's enough room for them is important. So you might seed a row with 12 tomato seeds in it, and the row might be six inches across the tray. So you've seeded one every half inch. You're looking for six tomatoes when you're all done. So at some point, you're going to take out exactly half of them. Once they get a little bit taller, you're going to need to transplant them into a container that's larger. And that's the container that you'll keep them in until it's time to go outside and be hardened off. In the meantime, too, we want to remind you that they're going to need to be fed. So you'll use a, say, a liquid organic fertilizer. We usually use uh, Neptune's Harvest here. It's a fish and seaweed that we use. And you would put it half strength in a spray bottle. And you would just spray their foliage and spray the soil around them. And so you do that probably, I would say, once a week at least and give them the food and energy. And then when you think they're three or four inches tall, then you really need to put them in a little bit bigger pot. And at that point, like we said, you're going to begin to see them sturdy up, get a little bushier, more foliage. And then when the weather temperature is right, then it's time to move out. Yeah. So you'll want to find a sheltered spot to put them. So that way they will be in some sunlight, but maybe not a whole day's worth of sunlight and also a little bit protected from any wind, um, keeping them in a little cornered area where they wouldn't be exposed to um, harsh winds or total sunlight or really, really cold temperatures. Staying up close to a house kind of protects them from all of those things or up close to a building or something keeps them a little bit protected. And then you, yeah, and then you're going to bring them in every night for at least until you see them look like they're sturdied up, they're stronger, et cetera, but they can't take those nighttime temperatures. They can't take anything less than 50. So 50 is sort of a cutoff in the world out there where when 50 degrees hits and the roots get to be 50, they're done, they're done, all the perennials go to sleep, all the animals start to droop off, and we're out there cleaning up our garden. So 50 sort of the shutoff temperature. So you definitely don't want any of your babies out in anything less than probably 60 to 65 degrees at night. 
So it takes it takes a while and it takes paying attention and it takes remembering. Sometimes we're tucked in and the house is quiet and we've had supper and then I go, oh, oh, the babies. And then I run out and bring all the babies in. So, so yes, so you'll um, have to work hard at remembering. You can set a timer or a reminder or something not to forget them as the sun is going down. Mm-hmm. So I hope this gives you a little bit of an idea of what it's like to start seeding and encourages you to find organic seed or heirlooms and maybe try out a seed bank if you're willing and get excited for starting something new. I always love the beginning and choosing your plant varieties and things. And we'll get into that part a little bit later maybe around January is when we start making those kind of decisions. But for you guys, wherever you are in the world, maybe you are thinking about these kind of things. So it's just important to keep this in mind as you're going and as you're thinking about your sweet gardens. So I hope you all have a really great week and I hope you all listen next week. Thank you all so much and have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button and the little bell so that you are the first to know when we've released a new episode. Feel free to tell your friends or anyone that might like to listen. Another great way to support us is by rating us on the Apple Podcast app. This allows other listeners to find us more easily so they can check us out for themselves. Lastly, we want to thank those of you that have decided to donate to the podcast. It allows for us to pay for our equipment and software so that way we can continue to make the content that you all love. If you can and would like to support us in that way, there are links on our website, eastmeadoworchard.com, and also in the bio of our Instagram page, at Chelsea in the Meadow. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. This show was brought to you by Red Circle. It was edited by Chelsea Braz. Our master engineer was Ben Braz. And a special thanks to Barbara Dombrowski, Kristen Braz, and East Meadow Farm and Orchard for helping us make this possible.